Toronto! I wonder if they can hear it on Long Island. Great move. What a goal. Beauty. Austin Matthews. Bless you, boys. What a game. Welcome to episode 52 of the Maple Leafs Hot Stove Podcast. I'm Nick Ashbourne, joined as always by Anthony Petrielli. And it seems like I said this last week, I'm sure I'll say it again on future podcasts. A lot has happened since we last talked. That is the nature of a weekly podcast. And Anthony, I think the best place to jump in right now is with William Nylander. He is the talk of the town in terms of his contract. It's been a situation that Obviously, has continued from prior to the season through the season as he's continued to produce, and the number kind of keeps creeping up and up and up. And over the last couple of days, a lot of the insiders in hockey are kind of chiming in on talks getting serious and where this number might be. We've heard, you know, eleven point two five, which is a, a bit of a sticker shock for some people. Where are you at with the William Nylander contract situation and the idea that the number could be in that ballpark, whether that's exactly where it nets out or not? So if I if I have it correct, it's I believe Nick Kiprios, Elliot Friedman, Chris Johnson and Darren Dreger have all referenced a contract now going north of 11 million dollars. Like I think all four have. So when that happens, I mean, you like where there's smoke, there's fire. So I think that that part's pretty obvious. Ultimately, where I sit on it is this. And I've been saying this for probably two months now. He is having a contract year and like, congratulations to him. That is this, if there's a time to have a year, this is it. But much like we saw with Nazem Kadri a few years ago with Colorado, just because a guy's having a contract year does not mean that this is the player that he'll be for the next X, Y, Z amount of years moving forward, right? Like he's tied for fourth in scoring in the league right now. And he's never come close to this production. Like if you look at points per game, goals per game, shots per game, everything is exponentially higher than it previously has been in his entire career. You look at him driving the net, he's doing it more than he's ever done in his entire career. If you think this is who Nylander is for the next, at minimum, I would say five years, even if you cut it and said four, because he's going to get an eight-year contract, I'd I still don't think that this is who he is moving forward. I think this is the absolute max. So I do think that that has earned him some extra dollars to say that, yes, he can be this good. But these numbers that are being bandied about, like David Pasternak, who seems to be the comparable, um, is, like that's crazy to me. He had 61 goals last year. He was the best player on the best regular season team in the history of the NHL. And Nylander is not that like it's again, like it's no offense to Nylander. It's just the reality situation. Like no team is coming in and game planning for William Nylander over over Austin Matthews. Like it is not happening. Austin Matthews is getting every tough assignment. Okay. I I get that. I understand that. I, (laughs) I feel better about the idea of paying William Nylander this amount of money than you do. Uh, I can tell from that early, early comments on it. I, I would rather have David Pasternak than William Nylander. I'm not I'm not going to make that argument. Everyone would. like. I can't yeah. imagine any single person would argue otherwise. What I will say is that I really don't like the way we report and talk about NHL contracts because we should always be talking about cap percentages and we should never be talking about raw dollars. 
Is William Nylander worth as much as David Pasternak? No. Could he make as much as David Pasternak in raw money? Yes, because he's signing a year later for a lower percentage of the cap and the cap is projected to move in an upwards direction over the last few years. Like the reason, the core reason, in my opinion, that the Toronto Maple Leafs have not achieved as much as you would have thought over the last few years is because they locked in these players at rates under the assumption the cap would go up. The cap did not go up. And as a result, they got hamstrung with these contracts and it was difficult to build around these guys. Now you could argue, did they, you know, some of these players didn't show up as much in the playoffs as you want. There's a lot of roads you can take that, but I think that that's some, a cool. We're not going to go down that top, but they definitely did not show up oh, in the playoffs to the level that they should. A hundred percent. But for me, that the biggest issue is that is the fact that they were constantly in cap jail. It made it difficult. They traded away a lot of draft picks. They constantly had to make these in-season moves to fill the roster. Like there's just been so many problems caused by that. And I think that's warped people's views a little bit. The reality is if you sign Nylander to, let's say it's 11.25 right now. And here, you know, looking at these cap numbers going ahead for what next year is, that is going to be 12.9% of the cap. Now, that, that's not a small number by any means, but it's 10.7 in today's dollars. And just as a comparison point, when Marner's contract began, and I know we think of Marner as a more complete uh, to a player who does more things on the ice than Nylander when he's at his best, certainly not this season. Uh, but Marner was 13.4% of the cap at the beginning of his contract when he last signed with the Maple Leafs. So again, people have the tendency to say, okay, Nylander is worse than this player. This player makes X, but the contract, the context of when these contracts are signed is so important. And the percentage of the cap these guys are taking up is really what matters. And I think in a world where the cap continually rises, as it had until COVID, which is something that's impossible to predict, this contract is something that you could build around that would not be an anchor in you know two, three, four years. Next year would be really difficult. There's no doubt about it. As long as you have Marner and Tavares on the books and Matthew's new contract coming in and a contract like this for an Elander, like, I could see uh, signing Nylander this number would make next year very difficult for the Maple Leafs to build around, maybe the hardest they've had yet. And that would be difficult to stomach in one of Matthew's you know, limited years in Toronto. But if I'm the Maple Leafs, this is a deal at this sort of number that I am comfortable with, although I understand that in an ideal world, you would like to see a guy, you know, give you whatever, a little bit of a home down discount or show that quote unquote, like he wants to win and wants to sat. Like there's a lot of these uh, platitudes you can throw out there. And there are players in the past who have clearly done that, but I'm never going to begrudge a guy for wanting to maximize his earning potential. Cause that's what like all of us do in real yeah. life. Yeah. He should want to get as much money as, as he can. So Again, that's no commentary on him. I'll say to your cap percentage point, which is which is accurate. That is the best way to look at it. Pasternak at at his point of signing was thirteen point six four, right? And you said Nylander would come in just under thirteen percent. I don't think. I think the gap between those players is bigger than that. Like I think that they're. I think it's a legitimate tier above. Like I think it's at least a full percentage point probably slightly more like if we're if we're gonna it's honestly it almost feels like an out-of-body experience kind of watching this play out because 
the Marner negotiation was like the dumbest thing ever to watch unfold. And even the Nylander one at the time, <clears throat> and I know it ended up being a great contract, I'm aware. But again, they used Pasternak as a comparable. And I get that those guys are friends and like they've known each other like prior to the NHL and all that. But Pasternak I way outpaced him. Like he he produced exponentially higher than William Nylander over the course of their contracts after those signings. Like it was not it was not competitive between the two. And like again, like that's not a knock on on William Nylander. Like Pasternak is one of the best players in the league. Like there are very few players that you can put their numbers up against Pasternak and it like it looks okay. What the out of body experience is is really just to go, I cannot believe we're going down this path again where it feels like the agents are winning the media battle in Toronto and the quote-unquote insiders are lapping it up in terms of what a player should be making. Like, no one's using any sense on it. It's like we're just looking going, fourth in league scoring this year, like first time ever he's even remotely been in this category, but... Now he's suddenly going to be one of the highest paid players in the league. Like, at least with Matthews, you could stomach that he legitimately is the best goal scorer in the league. Like, I think everyone has a little bit of like some qualms with that contract in terms of the length of it. And just like the fact that he's the highest paid player in the league and actual dollars. But like, I mean, at that time, not given the way he's played so far this year, because McDavid is clearly the best player in the league. And, but that aside, you could ultimately always sit there with Matthews and go, this is the best goal scorer in the league. Like, I I don't think anyone questions that. And a strong defensive player who can yeah. play against difficult, like, yeah, yeah. I, it's yeah. very like, difficult to complain like, about a Matthews contract, almost like, regardless of what it is. Like he is a superstar of the highest order, period 100%. of the story. I don't think Nylander's in that category. Like, I'm sorry. Like he's just, he's not there for me. And that's, that's valid. I get that. I think that the some things are going to come into play one you know by a couple of years in that contract we'd see to what degree is he among the highest paid guys in the league and the other thing is that you know you say he's having a contract year but there are some things that he's showing that he hasn't shown before and will all of them come through over the course of the contract i'm not sure but it's not like he's having a crazy shooting percentage year or something like that it's actually He's below his career averages there. Like he yeah, he's really shooting is, more. He's shooting. Yeah, a he's ton. doing a better job of getting a shot off, getting to dangerous areas. He's killing penalties this year, which he's never done before. He's playing like two minutes more a night than he's done in previous years. I mean, we can argue about keeps usage and whether he overplays his top players, but like he, I think that he is. Is he going to end up with like 116 points or something like that? Like, no, I don't think that that's necessarily going to be the case. But I do think that this season represents him showing a different level we've seen before that yeah. should be meaningful to what happens in the future. Like, is he in a hundred point guy every single year? Not necessarily, but is he someone who's, you know, better than he was in 2020, 2021 for the next couple of years? I think so. Do you think so from ages 28 to 36, do you think he is going to be a steady 90 point player? Not all the way to the end, of, but no, but no contract. Like you don't get okay, it to the from, very end of the contract. I like, mean, Tavares I'm, basically yeah. has been. Yeah, but Tavares's overall play is also fallen off at the end of his contract. Like he's not the same guy he was at the beginning of that contract. Tavares was a true franchise centerman. 
when he signed yeah. with the Leafs. I don't think like Nylander generally plays on the second line on this team. Like, I think this is also a perfect fit for. But he played the first line on like almost any. You know what I mean? Like they have Marner and Matthews in a perfect match. Like it's an unusual situation. Like he would be a top, the top offensive option on a lot of teams. If maybe not uh, on all the best teams. I mean, we could go team by team. There'd be some teams that he would be the top offensive option that would be really good teams. Like, you know, he's not going to be the top offensive option on Colorado, but, you know, you could make a case for a lot of teams that are really good squads that he could be the top offensive option. You know, people tried to trade him to Carolina forever, right? Because he was going to be the top dog there offensively. Yeah, I offensively he would be. I don't know if he would be their most important forward, though. But, you know, I mean, I know you hate wingers like that. Like it's that's a winger center value debate, I think. Yeah, I mean, they're wingers like that. Just that's just the reality. Like like he wouldn't you couldn't possibly be more important than like Sebastian Ajo just on principle. Like he is the top line. Center. Anyways, that part aside, like you're just like that part of the conversation is also kind of being missed here in the sense that like, well, like what are you projecting him to be? Because if if like 37 some odd good games has completely wildly changed your opinion of Nylander as a player. And some people be like, well, I always thought he was like really good. And like, he, he has been really good, but like he has been elite this year. Like this is the first time ever. Like this is the first time ever he's really, and I know he had 40 last year, but like it wasn't, no one was sitting there last year going like Nylander's a top 10 forward in the league with the 40 goal season. No, they weren't. No, I, I think that um, there, there's an element of leap of, of a leap of faith here. And I'm willing to concede also the idea that, like, let's say this contract gets signed at 11, 11.25, something like that, that down the road, you see that as an overpay. Like, that's well within the realm of possibility. I also think about the, like, what's the counter, right? Like, the if you let Nylander go... And then, you know, next year, it'd be interesting what you're doing with that squad and how much you're able to have that level of offensive firepower. And then beyond that, you know, Tavares is either aging out of being the guy he is even now or leaving. You got questions with Marner. Like, as long as you have Matthews, you really are forced into this win-now mode. And I don't think for what you would pay Nylander, I think you'd have a hard time, especially the Leafs having diminished trade assets, getting guys who would give you more on ice value like it it kind of sucks that your kind of, your best options are to potentially overpay your own guys but it often is the case because the guys who would be better than them generally don't become available at least not at what you can pay in terms of trade assets so i think that there's a, a secondary point on this which i'll say in favor of signing the lander which is to say like the idea of getting obliterated by Marner in another negotiation is just unpalatable to me. Like it just, I cannot imagine going through that again. Like I cannot sit there in good faith and then hear like these conversations next year where it's like cap percentage, blah, blah, blah. Like Marner ends up over $13 million. I just can't do it. Like I, I think it's very clear what kind of happens with him and, and, deployment and and the team and i've kind of railed on it before last episode so i'm not going to go down that whole thing so all that to which i'll say and circle back to this contract is i think signing nylander 
the like one of the most positive things is it comfortably gives you an option to be like, yeah, no, with Marner. And I do think and you it, need that. That's an, op- like, that's an option they should explore, right? Because like you said, like Marner, yeah. his next contract is north of 12 potentially, if as long as he doesn't like totally fall off a cliff with his production. And we've seen this year that he can put good numbers on paper without being some game-changing force, just based on who he's playing with and the quality of the power play and all that jazz. So I, yeah, I'm yeah. with you on that. I think you really do want to have an option to walk that, away from Marner. You don't have to, yeah. but you need to have an option. That's one of that's one of the like I I want Nylander in Toronto like all that to say like I'm not the argument here isn't that I don't want Nylander in Toronto I I want him here I think this is a perfect fit for Nylander to be honest one I think he does amazingly well in this market like he some guys say they don't give a shit and then other guys legitimately don't give a shit and Nylander is in the category of the second one like he does not care what the people say about him he. He like the media pressure, all that, like the playoff stuff. Like, I think that they have guys that like care so much that they squeeze the stick tighter and it impacts their play negatively. I think Nylander is in the complete opposite category of that and it helps him like he's been. So that's the second point. He has generally been very good in the playoffs like i have a lot of time for that it's important in this market to have guys who are capable of playing in it yeah i mean i think he's a bit of a hockey sociopath for lack of a better term like he's sort of like in his own mental bubble and it's very hard to affect him you know positively or negative i mean sometimes i think that can be a negative if like he's not playing well he's probably a hard person to get on and get something else out of but he's a little bit bulletproof. Like he's a little bit Teflon and that is very useful in this market in a way that, like you said, some guys probably wouldn't want to admit to or don't even necessarily know. So they, the way they could say yeah. it out loud, it's just, it's something that does, it does literally affect people. And sometimes that can be overstated for sure. Like I think the Toronto media narrative can get boring and tired and it can get repeated over and over again, but it, it is something like it, it does it, exist. It for does impact guys. It is, I look at, it's not like playing in Florida. Like, it's just not. No. And I'm in Florida right now. Like, trust me, these guys can walk around, do whatever they want. No one, like, I'm recording live from Florida. They, like, they do not care. Like, they, like fans care. I'm not, sorry, I don't mean like that. I mean, like, you can, like, live your life. You cannot live your life. Like, those guys cannot just willy-nilly go out to, like, King West and have a night, like, anyone else would it would maybe bobby mcmahon like maybe maybe maybe, maybe. but the mustache but, but throw, is distinguishable throw on a cap and uh and some yeah. shades if you're bobby mcmahon maybe yeah like i've been to random bars where there's like a lower tier toronto maple leaf player there and everyone knows like it is the buzz of the bar and like we're not talking william nylander austin matthews we're talking lower end guys i'll just call it and the the bar knows people go up to them. There is a line like it is. It is what it is. Um, but even just beyond that, I look at I I'm reminded of guys like Francois Boschman. Like they just they did not like having their name in the paper all the time and being discussed all the time and whatever. So I think Nylander is really a fit in the market for that way. Like I don't think a big contract would phase him in the sense of like trying to do too much. I think he would just live his life. And I, I think that's nice to have. And then the third thing that I'll say of why I like him here is I think it's a perfect lineup fit for him in the sense that, again, Matthews takes the 
bulk of attention from teams as he should. He is the best goal scorer in the league. He is the first player anyone will talk about when they play the Toronto Maple Leafs. And so Nylander gets to play, generally speaking, on the second line. He gets to drive his own line. It is not the line that gets you know, the bulk of the attention or resources that a team can deploy against you. Like, I think that's an excellent fit for him. He still plays on the top power play unit. He's surrounded by elite talent when he does it. Um, you know, part of me would be very curious to see how he would produce in in a situation like, uh, like we'll even call it Carolina, where it'd be like, you are on the top line all season and you're going to be going up against, you name it, right? The, the top defense pairs, the Charlie McAvoy's, the Adam Fox's, whatever, all, all season long with no break. And how would you do? Like, I, I, I'm sure he would still produce at a very respectable rate. I don't know if it would be like the top five in league scoring that it is right now. I, I don't think it would be. So I think this is just a great fit for him too. I think he recognizes that, um, you know, by all accounts, like he wants to stay. I just, the pot, the one of the biggest positives for me on top of him, I think being a good fit for the team again would be just the Marner situation. I think you need some sort of ammunition. And then the, the flip side of that is of all this talk of like, this thing is, is getting steam and like, you know, it seems to be sort of figuring out is they need to figure it out because honestly, like if these numbers are just going to keep, escalating like eventually one they have to have a cutoff point and two they got they got to move them like that's just the like no one wants to hear it but that's just the truth like you can't it's unacceptable to me to lose him for free I, that that sets your franchise back significantly the only situation i think where you could carry it through the whole season without a contract is a world where like you're having the season the boston bruins are having last year like your team is absolutely dominant and you're like, this is the team that's going to, that's not where the Leafs are. Like, it's just not like they're in a, they're in a second tier below that, you know, quartet in the West and a couple of teams in the East right now. Like, I don't know what you want to call them. The eighth best team in the league, something like that. Like you can't justify that for a team that is, you know, you, you would not dismiss their chances of winning the cup, but they are a middleweight right now in terms of the league landscape. And so it's tough to say, okay, this year is our chance. And that's why we're keeping Nylander to the end. I mean, they're not, I like they need they need to play really well to win the division. That's what I'll say. I like I don't consider them a middleweight. I think that they can go toe to toe with any of those top teams. Um, I think they've generally shown that they can. And that that LA game was a big one for me because I I thought in the LA regular was, season. Yeah, fair, fair. If we're we're giving them the <laughs> we're already attaching the playoff dip to their play. Like, well, oh, no, I'm just, I'm just saying, like, like when you say the elites have proven that they're like a top elite team in terms, and I, I agree with you, and we'll talk about that game a little bit later. But like, they have had really strong games against strong opponents and shown that they don't necessarily wilt under the weight of some of these big teams. But um, again, it's it just it's a big stretch for me to assume that they can do that through multiple rounds of the playoffs, just because yeah. we haven't seen anything like that yet. Yeah, you need to be winning your division to put that case to me on on paper of like we're keeping a guy of this magnitude at minimum you need to be winning your division to sit there and go like yeah we have the best possible path to the final four and they don't right now like right now that path is florida boston and that sounds like a nightmare and they don't even have home ice for either series at the moment so yeah like that that is a huge problem like they're they're just they're not there so 
I don't want to start speculating in terms of like what could they get for him in a deal or anything like that. I'm just saying like it's like like it shit or get off the pot, you know, uh, like like either it happens or it doesn't and, and you move on. And to, those are the only two options. I think there needs to be a deadline. I think there needs to be a deadline on it in terms of like something is either done or it's not like, I think you need to put that pressure on Lewis gross. I think he's shown that like almost all of his top clients go to free agency. Alex, I follows like the one of note that didn't. And that was in part because the Kings put a deadline on it. They're like, they had a deal in place. He signed like on trade deadline day or like the day before it was somewhere within that, like 24, 48 hours that they put pen to paper. And that was the only reason he didn't get moved. Cause they were like, yeah, we're not doing this. Like we're not, we're not keeping you and and going to free agency with you. Like you, you either sign or you leave. And by the sounds of that negotiation, it sounded like I follow himself, like eventually stepped in and was like, I want to stay like, like this happening. So you like, you can't, I, that is a, that sets your franchise back. Like losing a player of that caliber for free, for absolute free sets your franchise back. Like the Calgary flames, who Brad Tree Living literally just did this with is example A. Like you could have got anything for Johnny Gaudreau. Yeah, I mean that's the you know when Craig Conroy stepped in, that was the thing he said basically. He was like, you know that thing that just happened, like that ain't gonna happen with me. Can't happen. Now he hasn't yeah. proven that yet because he hasn't traded or extended a lot of his guys, so we'll see what happens with him. But the fact that Tree Living let that happen is a black mark on his record, and it is something that. You know, it would be hard to envision him letting that happen all over again. And then he's like the guy who does that. You know, like the moment he lets Nylander go for free, he's the guy who let Nylander and Gaudreau, you know, Gaudreau has not been a success in Columbus yet or whatever, but that becomes it's like a huge not part of his be a story. success at this point. Yeah. I mean, saying not yet was pretty generous to be yeah, honest. Yeah. It's, it's not going to be a success. That team is a disgrace. <laughs> the weird X factor in this is the, uh, is the Michael Nylander component, which it's interesting. Elliot Freeman sort of hinted at it and was like, Oh, I don't you know really what like he's talking about. Now. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's uh it's an odd thing where the fan, where this guy's this involved, like a lot of, no, I know, but do you remember what happened with Michael Nylander with his own situation? Yeah. Oh yeah. How about you remind the listeners? So Michael Nylander had agreed to a contract. I believe the Edmonton Oilers, like they had thought it was done after his contract year and then he ended up and like they sent him the papers and stuff to sign and then they he just and i believe his agent at that time was mike gillis and they just never signed it and then like the next day they turned around and they signed with the washington capitals for more term and money and that contract never worked out but all that to say is really the point of chasing the money to the very last second there were no loyalties involved in any of it and to if we're going to be honest like that is a shady business deal like the oilers were pissed at the time um which is totally fair for them to be like that's not negotiating good faith i'm not saying that william nylander is not negotiating good faith i'm not saying something similar would happen again i'm just saying like that was a shady thing and the the that is like the quiet thing out loud when they're like, oh, like Michael Nylander's involved now, which is to say, like, I'm sure they're chasing the money to the highest level possible. Yeah, and which everybody already knew, but it it is weird. It's like, I don't know, whenever you have 
a family member who is like notably in the news, like even, you know, with Marner, right? Like you, you've seen this with a variety of players. Like it is, you know, it's already a complicated situation. You have the player, you have the agent, you have the team, you have the cap. And it, it is weird that it, it gets brought up like that. I understand it. Like it is theoretically ancient history, but also, you know, this is a guy who's had a lengthy holdout as well. Like there, there's a reason to believe that, they you know they fight for every dollar and again i said that earlier like totally justifiably that's what all of us would do right we would want to maximize our own earnings i think the most likely scenario here and maybe we'll see if this is borne out is that this contract does get done it seems like both sides want it to get done it gets done at a number that's pretty favorable for nylander and i think people will feel a bit sour about that based on the history with what these guys have made in the past and how this team has felt so top heavy and it's going to be a huge discussion point potentially next season when they really have this crunch to deal with. And my belief is that beyond that, it would not be one of the biggest problems that the Maple Leafs face. And that largely they're going to, they would be happy that they had Nylander and potentially there might be moments where they feel like, man, this is a lot, but you can work around. Like I just have so much more time for overpaying stars than overpaying for intangibles, overpaying for grinders, overpaying for, you know, guys who are really on the tail end of their careers. Like I I get it because of the history in Toronto. That sounds weird because you could argue that overpaying the guys that they've had has been this huge issue for them. But when it comes down to brass tacks, like this is a player I think that they need going forward. And uh if the contract is a, is slightly heavy, that doesn't feel like a massive obstacle to successful team building. Yeah, I think ultimately it would probably be more of a situation where you kind of watch him next year and his numbers come back more down to reality and you sit there and go like, still a really good hockey player, but probably a tad overpaid. That's yeah. that's what I think is mo- most likely to happen. I Yeah, and I probably agree with that. And realistically they'll have other issues they're like oh we haven't developed any players in a while and uh what's happening with the defense core and you know there's going to be things that are going to be bigger news than that in the in the maple leafs future so i don't know Uh, if we want to get to the decor but the decor kind of gets interesting the decor has been interesting as they've gotten healthy let's uh yeah let's do that we got to circle back to samson but we can't let the goalie situation go unremarked upon but let's let's have some d thoughts so the the defense has finally gotten healthy. That that excuse is no longer relevant. Of they've been playing with half a defense. Um, even though I thought, you know, William Lagason, uh, Simon Benoit, and at times I'll say generously, at times Connor Timmins was decent as well. Um, if nothing else, he has like some skill and he's a right-handed shot. So that's basically what he brings to the I- table. I like Timmons. I'd and, like to see a little more Timmons, to be honest. I'm sure you do, Nick. <laughs> but, you know, the reality is, like, he was a nightmare in his own end, continuously. There, there were some rough I, moments. There's there's I, no doubt about that. I see the numbers where people are like, yeah, generally speaking, it's more good than bad. But, like, I'm not sure I'd buy that against a real hockey team. Like, I was watching the game against LA, thinking, like, literally just sitting there thinking to myself, like, imagine Connor Timmons was playing tonight and, like, how bad it would be. Like he just, it's too he, risk reward. I get it, but I don't think he's like a walking mistake in that way. I mean, there I were again, close. he had that rough game in Buffalo and that like he hasn't played since, but it's, I think it's close. 
But like there I was were, watching against Anaheim going like, yeah, he'd probably be good. Well, the thing with Timmons is he makes like one ugly mistake and then he makes four pretty good plays. But the pretty good plays have a like whatever percentage. That's a generous ratio. It's probably like two really bad plays to three like solid plays. Four to one is probably generous. It's probably yeah. in the decimals. Like, you know what I mean? Like we don't yeah, really, it's, it's like 2.46 plays he, per whatever. But like, but you can't, like he's that, not good enough to justify those. Like if, like Nylander makes a bad play. I'm just saying his name because we just talked about him a ton. Like at least I could sit there and go, well, Nylander could go out the next shift and score and say like everyone like quiet down, and, like get out of my face. Like Timmons but, can't do that. Well, so to a little behind the curtains for the listeners here, before a lot of this news came up, one of the things we were talking about doing on this episode, and we may well do it in a future episode. So I'm sorry if I'm giving it away, but we're going <laughs> to do some experimental lineups of our own because last episode we did a lot of criticism of Sheldon Kiefer kind of being set in his ways and not trying enough things. So we thought it'd be reasonable. Like literally the next week after that episode played out of just like some real garbage occurring, I would say. Yeah. I digress. So but we thought, you know, it was a pretty negative episode last week. So like, you know, when we're being like, Oh, these are bad ideas. It'd be good to bring our own ideas. And to be honest, Timmons was in my experimental lineup. And the reason for that is I like the idea of having, like, I don't think that the Maple Leafs as constructed can put together like a really good shutdown pair. Like, I just don't think they have the personnel that fits together to do that. So my alternative idea is like, I want each of my pairs to have some offensive play driving because that's been very difficult for the Maple Leafs to have in the past. Uh, beyond Riley's pair, they've really gotten nothing offensively, kind of traditionally. And so I thought what I wanted was to have Timmons on one of these pairs because I wanted... Uh, Timmons pair and I want to pair with Lilligren. I want to pair with Riley where each of them are doing something but I get like anyway I, t- when we have this defense discussion Timmons is not prominent in that discussion because I don't think like you said that realistically he's a big part of the picture right now Simon Benwell is he prominent and prominent in the sense that like top six I not, mean like, for what top two. for what they have like I feel like the deal with Simon Benoit is that he's played better than they reasonably could have expected he has given them toughness that they probably like to see. We can always debate so, the. So he, I have he a problem with that. Fights. Why? Why is it better than he than could have reasonably expected? Well, it's so hard to evaluate defensive defensemen who play for absolutely trash teams. So, like everything you would look at with Benoit last year would indicate like this is not a guy who is going to consistently help you, but. Again, like yeah. in the context of that disgusting Ducks team, like it's just hard to know what you're getting. Yeah, and I say that because I had a real problem with how he was described when they, when he was signed, and I wrote about it too at the time, saying like essentially this: like Anaheim was the worst team in the league by a mile to me. Like I watched a reasonable amount of Anaheim games, watched a reasonable amount of every team play, to be honest, and they couldn't identify the neutral zone with a map and a head start. And to your point, Simon Benoit is a defensive defenseman. Like, you will literally never look good in that situation. Like, you can't play on a team that bad and that unstructured and even remotely try to resemble being respectable as a hockey player. But the way when he was signed, with people pulled up a chart and just said, like, this is the worst defenseman in the league, I thought was embarrassing. Like, I think that's one of the worst things that has happened with hockey um, fans, analysts, all that, like, they couldn't tell you what number Simon Benoit wore last year. They could barely tell you anything about him as a player, you know, how he skates, how he moves the puck, anything about it. And like this year, it's been like, oh, like he's actually been like 
pretty like respectable. It's like, well, you didn't watch him play last year. Like you didn't watch that team play. Like you have added no additional context to anything that's happened to produce the results that it did. And people just took a dump on the guy. And I find, I find it's just so disappointing. Like the amount of conversations I have in that vein in general, where people just pull up a chart and they're like, well, like here are the facts. I'm like, well, that is just a part of the story. And people talk all the time about like using analytics as part of the story, but like in, in essence, a lot of them don't. They'll just like pull up like a single expected goals for a single game expected goals for percentage and think that that's an appropriate statistic to describe how someone played on any given night, which it's not. Um, yeah. So and to be kudos fair, to Benoit, kudos to Benoit. For, for sure. I think one of the issues with Benoit is like he, he creates absolutely nothing offensively, right? Like he doesn't have a None. point with the Maple Leafs. So which is hard to do. It is hard to do. So he was actually fairly active uh, against the Ducks there, uh, yeah. surprisingly, more than usual. But the reality is that when you create nothing on offense, even as a defenseman, you have the bar safe. for how strong your defensive play has to be is very high. Like it's hard to clear that bar. And to be honest, you could argue that he is. Like he uh, he's made a lot of good defensive plays. He's looked sharp back there. He's his penalty killing. Like he doesn't necessarily play a prominent role. He's more nor coming in on the second pair, but he's looked pretty good on the penalty kill as well. I think my big picture thought on Benoit is that he's a guy where he's given them like a lot of good minutes and they have to be happy with it. And probably whatever move they're going to make at the, whether it's at the deadline or precisely around then to improve their decor. Like there's, it seems like a pretty high chance that he's the guy where they shake his hand and say, thanks for your service. We'll take it from here with guy X. And in, in the sense that he'll be the seventh defenseman and not traded by way, yeah. just in case that I, I know that's what you meant. I'm just adding yeah. that context. Like, I don't think they're yeah, shaking yeah. his hand. No, they're not shipping him out because you know, might as well have the insurance and he doesn't have much trade value or whatever. But like, that's my yeah. thought is like, they, they're going to be happy with what he's done. Uh, he's, he's not killing them on a nightly basis or anything even close to that. He's been, he's adding value, but, um, you can probably find an upgrade to to that point too. I'll add about the offense and defense and whatnot is he's essentially been the kind of player where when they were protecting the lead against LA and he wasn't really out because he got into the fight and then cut up his hand uh, late in the game, which I was like, bummer, but he's, I like him on in those situations when it's like you're protecting a lead and you just need a guy in the D zone that can, essentially muck it up and be a plumber like he stops guys dead on the cycle he's good at getting in shooting lanes he's huge he has a big reach he uses it he's fearless when when things break down like his his auto reaction to it is like violence essentially right like when when teams are having the leafs in and it's like how do we stop this he's like screw it i'm gonna run out of guy and just i'm gonna erase someone whether like whether he moves the puck after or not like I'm just going to go and and just remove someone from the play uh which I have a lot of time for he's very involved in like the gamesmanship um which I personally appreciate appreciate for a team that's been um particularly soft over the years like they've probably gotten into more scrums this year through like 37 games I think they're at 37 than they probably have over the past two seasons combined and he's at a heart of them well, I think of, you know, the overtime in the game against the Ducks where I think it was Vetrano who 
comes and like i don't think he really ran uh jones in a meaningful like i don't think he was trying to do anything messed up yeah. to jones but just like the way the play went you end up running jones and everyone on the ice's reaction to that was just sort of like throw their hands up and look at the ref and yeah, if which a is guy like, like benoit is on the ice or or jake mccabe or something and again like you could debate the functionality of this in terms of winning hockey games but in terms of tone setting um with you know with players who actually have an on ice purpose like it would have been yeah. preferable to see someone you know deal with that and, like dealing with that yeah. can just be kind of shoving a guy and getting his face and telling him like get out of here yeah you can't but, like do that. everyone simultaneously just like throw like riley throwing the hands up and just looking at the ref it was just yeah. a very toronto maple leaf scene yeah like who cares like it's game 37 against anaheim like i think like people have a hard time like separating some of those things out it was the same with the with the Columbus game with Samsonoff and uh and like he was bad. Like there was no question. Like that Adam Fantilli goal to tie was terrible. But it's like all five guys changed and you gave up a three on one. Like it was a shitty three on one and it ended up with like a weird breakaway that block it was like a blocker save that bounced up in the air and and in like yeah like you don't want that. But like if you're giving up a three on one because all five guys change at the exact same time like that is terrible hockey. Like go do that against Tampa in the playoffs. And like, do you think Cooch is going to capitalize? Do you think Alexander Barkoff is going to make you pay? Do you think David Pasternak is going to light you up? Of course he is. Like he, like got like, I get that Sam Snuff was shit. And like, it, it's easy to just like blame the goalies as we kind of shift to that conversation topic. But like, you got to sit there and watch like how they're playing defense too. And say like, they're gonna they're gonna change the goalie situation. Like they got Martin Jones, Joseph Wall will come back eventually. Like Samsonov plays like shit. Like he's out. Like that's the easiest thing to switch is the goalie. And they have respectable options. But like you like the fact that you gotta talk to the guys about like not all five guys changing at once, like Timothy Lilligren falling, skating behind the net for no reason, which he seems to have a weird knack for making like either like falling or just like fanning on a puck. Him and, and Nylander like every, like, just, have just been games. blowing tires all over the place this year. I yeah. don't, know, it's, like, I don't know what it is with that pair. But I really like Lilligren, but he has a weird knack for just like fanning on a puck for no reason, falling down for no reason, making like just like the most bizarre play that they just get stuffed down their throat. So I don't know, like those are the kind of things like on a, like on a team level. And then as we circle back to the D, like I like having Benoit around. You're right. When they acquire someone though, it's going to be like, who else logically comes out? The one thing I'll say is Giordano was unplayable in the playoffs last year. Like he was terrible. Well, and, and when I was thinking about putting together my fake lineup, one thing I thought of was sort of a Giordano Benoit platoon where like you really, really like Giordano never plays a back to back. And like Giordano, like we're worried about various road, tra- like, like really putting the kid gloves on him. Yeah. And trying to keep him in a glass case until the playoffs. Because, like you said, he was really, he was awful in the playoffs last year. Awful. And he's a guy they're going to have a hard time sitting down. I mean, they should if they have to, but just his stature in the league and everything he's accomplished. And, you know, he does bring two way value, which not all other defensemen do in theory. Like it, it, he doesn't put up a ton of points, but kind of like Jake McKay, where he gets involved. Um, when so the puck's that, on his stick, it's good. It's yeah, generally for good. sure. So I, there's, there is a world, like you could envision a world where Giordano loses his job and Benoit does not, but that can't be considered the most likely scenario. I also think Giordano is like their best penalty killing defenseman. Like, I, I think it's been noticeable since he's returned. Like he's, he's out there PK one, he's excellent at it. 
he's a total gamer too. Like Giordano is a warrior. Like I, I use that saying very lightly. Like I think people overuse it to describe very mediocre players um, or very like mediocre things within hockey. But like Giord, like watching him at 40 lay out the way that he does to block shots. He's a warrior. He goes after guys physically. He takes physical abuse to make plays like all in all, like that guy puts his body on the line night in and night out when and like it's so commendable and admirable like that guy does not take a game off like there's never a game where i'm like giordano just like doesn't want it tonight like he doesn't want and by it i mean like he doesn't want to like take a hit to make a play he doesn't want to put his body on the line like i'm never watching him like slowly like wade into like a shooting lane and like being like "Ah." like he's like he's there in principle but like he's not really there because he doesn't really want to block it whereas like i watched a guy and like not to pick on a random guy too much, but when the Leafs were injured on defense and they there was a game where they played Nashville and Thomas Novak got the puck at the top of the circle and Max Lejoie was on the PK and he kind of like stepped up and Novak just curled it around him and hit the post. And if you remember the play, like he just ripped it off the bar. And I was watch- like, I must have watched it like five times back because I was like, <laughs> you are Max Lejoie, like you are not in the NHL. And like you came into like you you technically like you could say that you did your job by like somewhat going into the lane, but you you wanted no part of it. You had no interest in blocking that shot. Like there's you a didn't difference between out. checking a box and doing and like, the most yeah. you can do. And and Giordano does the most that he can do, right? Like I think Lilligren coming back has like added some like offensive ability. Like he can skate. He has a bomb. Like he like he's he brings something. McCabe is kind of settled in. He's good. Riley, so, we all know Riley at this point. Let me ask you this. is When you think of the Maple Leafs entering the playoffs, is it Riley Brody, McCabe? No. Ba- it's not Riley. Okay, so here's no. my assumption of the easiest thing to do, and then tell me what you would do. Riley okay. Brody, McCabe back to the left on the second pair with mystery defenseman X, who is coming to the team, who's a right shot. And then Giordano Lilligren on pair three. How differently would you play it? I think I think Brody's been bad, like legitimately bad. I think if Brody's on the top pairing, they have a real problem. I think he was bad last year in the playoffs. I think he has carried that through to this season, has continued to be bad. Like the best LA chance of the night was him just getting absolutely worked off a four check by Kevin Fiala. And who centered it to Trevor Moore and, and Jones made a huge save in the first period. And I watched it and it's like, yeah, Fiala is a fast player. And like Brody's a decent skater, but like get your body in the way, man. Like do something. And he just, he looks a step slower. He looks a step weaker. He offers nothing in terms of like, he, he makes a decent breakout pass and he's not like a dead end with the puck. But like basically once you cross center ice, he is a dead end with the puck. Like he offers nothing in the offensive zone. And maybe part of that is because he plays on the right side. And that's a tough one. Like he often just backhands pucks down the wall, but it's a dead zone. Like there is, there was even a play against LA where he kind of walked in. Um, he got like a pass. He had time and space and he walked in, had all day. And it was like center chest, no rebound with two Leafs playing, like standing right there. I was like, how wasn't that a slap pass along the ice? How wasn't that a shot off the pad? How, how was that center chest? For like nothing. Um, so he brings nothing on that side of things and his point totals confirm that. 
And now you're adding in that he's been like, to me, he's been actively bad defensively this year. Like, I think he's getting worked. I think teams are picking on him. I don't I think, think that, he can be on your top pair. I don't even know if he can be on your second pair. So you want to do Riley acquisition and then a McKay Bulligan and then like a Giordano Brody, something like that. That's yeah. That's the toughest part is I don't know if McCabe Lilligren would be a good second pairing either. It's interesting but to me because McCabe has been playing well since he went to his offside. It's a and... Simon Benoit effect, man. Just a hero. <laughs> Not just kidding. <laughs> so maybe so like may, the idea of of a Riley McCabe is coming into play in a way that we didn't really think of it before. I think they're too much of. I think they're both too adventurous. That's my thought too. I think you need to pair Riley with someone who is not really adventurous at all and they don't like brody like is Tanev? the best like chris tanov yeah someone yeah. in that vein right like i think that that's the reason why riley brody kind of sticks together is they don't have a logical guy to put on the other side who plays it safe who th- can theoretically handle those minutes right now i think it would be nice to have brody as kind of like an insurance plan if you have to move things around which is to say like you know if he's on the third pairing to start a game and then you have that in your back pocket to say, okay, like we can move Brody up with Riley. If like something has changed or could move him up with McCabe or whatever. But like, again, terrible in the playoffs last year, that McCabe Brody pairing got absolutely worked. I think he's been bad this year. I like, I think you want him as an insurance option, not the option. Let's lock that in. And then let's build below that. Like, I don't think that's good enough. I honest in part, I when I look at like that Matthews Riley pairing or that Matthews Marner combo, like has not been great. And they generally play with Riley a lot. Like I I also think that that impacts Matthews and, and Marner. Like I think you want a legitimate upgrade there. I talked about this before. Like the only team who who like actively loaded up minutes for their top guys and said kind of like screw their bottom six and won a cup was Colorado. But the reason they were able to do that is because they had Kale McCarr on defense and Devin Taves. Like, it's easier to load up when you're like, yeah, we're also loading up our superstar forwards with like a superstar defenseman and no one else can compete with that. But like every team in the playoffs has a better pairing than Riley Brody, basically. Every play, yeah, every team. I think, I think that's fair. It's yeah. It'll be interesting to see if they're able to find, I mean, you know, if they're able to find some in theory, like it, it isn't that much of an ask to say we want a right shot, physical stay at home guy. But like that is actually a pretty hard archetype to, you know, you know, they went yeah. and found Luke Shen, right? He was able to fill that role in the playoffs for them last year. Like Riley doesn't necessarily ask that much of his partner in a sense, but it is a it is a type of player that is valued around the league. I think Chris Tanev would be excellent. Like I think everyone thinks that my concern now to the point of of that second pairing possibility of McCabe Lilligren is whether that's good enough. It's tough. I I like them stylistically because McCabe is more physical than Lilligren. That balances it's left right, and instead of a risk taker, low risk guy, you have sort of two moderate risk guys, which in theory could work. It it can also fall apart if the if the chemistry isn't there, but theoretically, um, I think it it can work. Like you saw that play in the game against the Ducks where. Lilligren is communicating with McCabe on the fly, yeah. coming back from a rush, and he sends McCabe to pressure the puck. And that was he awful goes by Max slot. Jones. Like a real hockey player would have made a much better. I could like 
it, like good good for Lilligren to call out McCabe and them to. But it just kind of shows that yeah. they're you know how they're playing together. Not, but yeah, I mean you could say Max that for Jones, a long- like going center center shin pad like he was Tyson Berry in his prime with the Leafs. A lot of people and- did stuff on the Ducks that NHL players shouldn't do. I mean, just- as much as they've grown from last year, they're also shorthanded last night. To be fair, yeah, yeah, it hurt them missing like Troy Terry and Leo Carlson and Radko Gudas. Like those, those are three really important players for that. Before without question. we get out of here, quick thoughts on the goalie situation because it is you know it would have been the big news if we hadn't had the Nylander thing crop up. Um, yeah. obviously we had, we reached the Samsung breaking point. We don't need to delve too deeply into that. Cause it's, you know, it's something that's been sort of on the boil for basically as long as we've rebooted this podcast. Uh, I think everyone wants to see Dennis Hill to be play. I don't know if that's necessarily advisable considering his pretty low level of experience. I think, I feel like if he was six foot three, people would be like, Oh, or like, you know what I mean? Like, because he's this massive freak, they're like, yeah. okay, he can do it. Um, I, yeah, I want to see he's him play. Specimen. He's a specimen, but. The fact that he wasn't playing on the back, a, a road back to back against the Anaheim Ducks, kind of yeah, shows. I don't know how you justify playing him now. Like you can't. There's what situation would you play him? Play him in if you don't play him in that situation. I mean, if Martin Jones was terrible on Saturday, you play San Jose again. I don't think that's the worst thing. It's a back to back with San Jose. I know it's not back to back nights, but it's back to back matchup. I, like you know, even like the the second ones at home. I think in theory you could sit there and go like, yeah, like he could play that game potentially. Um, I mean, if they like, play the way they played against LA for most of the game until the end where they turtled or the way yeah. they played against the ducks, like that's a, that's a really high level of support that you'd like to believe Hildeby could survive, but it is, yeah, it's a weird thing. Cause you, you want to see him. He's interesting. He's an interesting figure in the potentially the future of the franchise, but his experience level is so low. And just by not playing up against Anaheim, they really kind of showed their hand in terms of how apprehensive they are with him. Well, one, good for um, Martin Jones. Like, he's I, killing like, it. I don't, I don't necessarily want to say he's saving their season, but he is helping it tremendously. Like, that cannot be overlooked. Um, Brad Tree Living had something in that contract, right? Where, uh, with like in terms of guaranteed money, the poison pill. The he did he did have a infamous one hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, and I don't know if that dissuaded teams from claiming him at the time. I still think it's nuts that he cleared waivers at that time. It wasn't like teams didn't need goaltending depth uh, or missing guys or this that whatever. So I don't know if that played a role, but if it did, like probably one of the best things that he's done is that Martin Jones situation like he's found some he's he's found some some wallets on the ground like the there's like he has found some money like the, give him credit for that um but all, all that to say is like i haven't completely um given up on samson off just yet i know some people are tired of hearing that all that i just i can't shake that like how good he was in the playoffs last year before he got hurt which was unfortunate Went toe to toe with Andre Vasilevsky and outplayed him. I don't think that's nothing. I don't think they win that playoff series without him. I mean, they definitely wouldn't win that playoff series. I mean, that him. game six was huge. They were actively outplayed pretty much every game. Yeah. Um, you know, and those are hard things to find. So, it, it like I think that they're handling this the right way. I don't think there's any point of playing games in the American League. Like, like you, like you, the hockey is so different. It's so uns. It's 
the structure in the American League from like a systemic and like a guy's being in the right spot standpoint is so much different than the NHL. Like you'll hear about this for players sometimes you'll be like, this guy's better in the NHL because guys are actually where they're supposed to be. And it helps you understand like who's where and what and and understanding for goalies, it's even like more tenfold, right? And if if um if you spent any time on like goaltending and the art of it and whatnot, a lot of them will tell you like the hardest thing is like games where they just don't know what the hell's going on. And I kind of equate that too with some of the Leafs defensive struggles. Like even even the 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 Martin Jones save on Trevor Moore in the slot, you could see that play coming. Like it's a great save not downplaying it but it's easier for a goalie to kind of read that play and be like okay well this is where the puck's going and it and it was what it was as opposed to all five guys line changing three on one timothy Lilligren falling cole cole cylinders like all alone in the slot for like three seconds like those are the plays where goalies are like what the hell is this like what like those are hard things to react to so one i think like the leafs need to clean it up and we're starting to see that and two, I think Samsonov has the ability, like it's clearly a mental thing with him, but like he's going to really need to regain trust. Like, like his teammates are going to be clutching the sticks when he comes back and how can you blame them? And then all that to say is we're waiting for Joseph Wall, who like, who knows when he'll be back and how he'll play. But he also looks to me like a guy that's capable of stealing a game or two in a playoff series. Like he looks like he could swing a playoff series to me. Yeah, I think he he is the biggest X factor for their season, to be honest. When I think about individual players who are going to change the the outcomes for the Toronto Maple Leafs, you know, obviously you can say there are guys who are more important, like an Austin Matthews or yeah. you know their their mate, you know Tavares or whatever the wingers. But like in terms of the range of outcomes, where Wool could have almost nothing to contribute from here on out, like he could reaggravate the injury, he could come back and not be the same guy. Um, or he could be someone they absolutely lean on and is essential to whatever they do in the playoffs. And he is, yeah, he's going to be a fascinating figure to watch down the stretch. I do want to see Hill to be play. I don't want to see him play that much. Uh, I'd like to see just a couple of stars. I mean, I joked about this last episode, like Martin Jones is capable of being a huge workhorse, which is not, he has a track record of doing that. It's not what you're looking for in a third goalie, but just so happens that that's what they need right now. Uh, he has been a heck of an asset for them as He's got a 930 save percentage right now. Don't expect that to hold up, but he's he's looking strong. He's looking confident. Uh, and he's looking like a guy that Maple Leafs can lean on. And I think this is where we are going to wrap this episode of the Maple Leafs Hot Stove podcast. We appreciate everyone tuning in. I asked you guys last week. I'm going to keep asking. Uh, rating and, and reviews are appreciated to help us move up algorithms and charts and things that I don't understand. A lot of the stuff we have is from previous iterations of the podcast. No longer reflects the show. I know you guys are very active in this community and we could use your help on that front. And we will be back with you again next week. Everyone is looking at me. Time is running and we're down by three. Look inside yourself, what do you see? The pain is in your mind, no, nothing stops me. Everyone is looking at me. Time is running and we're down by three. Look inside yourself, I know what I see. Do you have the guts to do it for